Q&A. Uh, we do have quite a few questions. Maybe we'll just do a couple for today. Uh, the first question, Bishop, um, is based on something that you taught us earlier on in today's session. And you did speak to us quite a bit about mentoring. And so there's a question here. How can we identify a good mentor for ministry? Thank you very much for the question. I think that we'll get the answer uh, from two particular sources. One is the definition I gave for who a mentor is. I said that a mentor is someone who has been where you want to go and he's willing to take you there. So in looking for a mentor, you have to find out there's no way I'm going to look for a mentor um, if I want to be a doctor and I'm going to look for someone who is not a doctor to be my mentor unless the person is going to be a mentor in another way to me in terms of maybe motivation. But if I want someone to mentor me in medicine, I must look for someone in medicine who has been there and is willing to take me there. So in the same way, when it comes to ministry, I have to look where do I want to get to in ministry? That this person's ministry inspire me so much to the point that I really want to be like him or her. Uh, and that is where we started from. And so there is that natural attraction or inspiration from what the person has been doing already, where you want to get to in that area of ministry. And then you also subject it to prayer. Talk to God and say, Father, this is what I've observed. I really want to be like this. This man inspires me. This woman inspires me. I also now pray for your direction. Should I go that way or not? Whatever be the case, check with God first. Check with God first so that we can get your clearance and your spirit. Sometimes you'll be, you'll be fine about it. Um, and I think that, that is the first two things that you need to do in order to really find a very good mentor to, to mentor you. They are, they are people that God himself speaks to. So by the time you come to them, it becomes confirmation. Sometimes you, you may feel, okay, it's bishop. But then probably you don't have the confidence to go to him. And then he might call you and say, God wants me to mentor you in this particular area. So then you realize that you've got, the you've got the confirmation. So you are confident in the type of relationship you have. And once we get a mentor, the relationship is clearly defined, what this is about and where we are going. Thank you, Bishop. I think that's a very practical uh, response. Our next question. I have the appetite and desire to spend time in prayer, to be with God, However, I'm always faced with heaviness and resistance, like something is holding me back. It's constant. How does one beat this? Right. These sort of experiences are not uncommon. They are very common um, to certain people. Um, first of all, it is one of the classical signs of an attack. It's a spiritual attack. The Holy Spirit would never make you feel tired when you are praying. It doesn't make you feel a sense of heaviness when you must pray. 
one of the classical signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you read my book on the effects of the Holy Spirit, is that he draws you to the place of prayer. The Bible says when Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit after his baptism, the Spirit of God led him to the wilderness to fast and to pray. The apostles that followed him, he took some of them to prayer meetings. They slept. They couldn't pray. Even when he took them to Gethsemane, um, 12 hours before his arrest and crucifixion, they slept. They couldn't pray. But 50 days later, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they could pray for hours. In chapter 4, when they were threatened not to preach in the name of the Lord, they had a prayer meeting until the place was shaking. By chapter 12, when their senior pastor Peter was arrested, they prayed for seven days nonstop until the midnight of the eighth day that an angel was dispatched from heaven to release Peter out of prison. These were the same people who were sleeping prior to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So the moment we want to pray and have a desire to pray, but we are unable to do the prayer because of heaviness, etc., it's an attack. One of the first ways to deal with it, and it doesn't only happen to congregation members, sometimes it happens to pastors. But how I found a way to deal with it over many years is to start prayer by casting that thing out. Command it to leave. Pray in the name of Jesus. Anything standing in my ability to pray, I command you in Jesus' name to leave. Because you are not in the will of God. You begin to address that thing, whatever it is. Sometimes it's an entity in your room. Sometimes it's a spiritual assignment by a witch or a wizard. A power of darkness has been assigned to sit on your prayer. So you can do anything. At the moment you want to pray, it, start, it suddenly starts feeling everything is gradually. You want to sleep. You feel tired. You start yawning. It's just a few minutes ago, you'll be talking to people on the phone whose faces you don't see. And you can talk to them for hours. Suddenly, the moment it switches to prayer, you start feeling tired. You want to sleep. At the same time, when the phone rings again, you just get up, pick it, and you're on the phone with Chichi. And you can talk for 10 hours. But you won't be able to talk to God for 10 hours. It's an attack. So you cast it out. Somebody pick my phone and then reduce the volume. All right, okay. So that's one way. You need, to, you need to pray against every spirit that is fighting your ability to pray, that is putting a spirit of heaviness and sleep on you. It happens when you're about to read your Bible or you must read your Bible and when you must pray. This thing happens. It's a spiritual attack. The Holy Spirit does not inspire anyone to sleep when they must read the Bible or to pray. When you see it happening, you need to cast it out. You need to resist it in the name of Jesus. You need to call the help of the Lord. That's what I was saying earlier on. Constant dependency on God. The law of dependency. Because I don't just open my Bible every morning to, to read. I've done this for over close to 40 years. I don't just get up and want to read the Bible. As soon as I take the scriptures, I pray. Even if it's for one minute. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, open my eyes that I will behold wondrous things out of thy law. Grant me grace to be able to read through what I'm about to read. Let nothing hinder me from reading your word. In the name of Jesus, I cast out every spirit 
assigned to frustrate my ability to read God's word. I don't start prayer by just praying. In my personal prayer life, I still pray against anything that will be assigned to distract my attention and prevent me from prayer. When you do those things, those things just lift and you pray. If it persists, call for help. Practically, that's why you have a pastor. Call for help. Say, this is my challenge. Sometimes pastor is able to pray and command that thing off permanently because we have levels of the anointing. There are some things you'll be able to cast out by obeying the word of God simply. And there are some things it will take your pastor's anointing to deal with it once and for all. So when you are going through this, don't hide it. Call for help. I hope I have helped someone. Thank you, Bishop. I believe that's, that was very clear. Yeah. Uh, we've got another question that we've received. How do you deal with competition in ministry? Powerful question. Of course, I know that when we talk about competition, we are referring to the negative competition and not the positive competition. Um, when we talk about the positive competition, we are talking about a healthy competition where we want to do things for God, not because I want to put you down for me to go ahead, but that we can collaborate, put together our strength and get things done in a healthy way. But there is so much of the negative side also rearing its head into, into ministry. And it doesn't help growth. It brings us back than forward. Um, one of the first things to help overcome that is for every one of us to understand that we all cannot be gifted in the same way. You see, it is envious towards what another person has. That is why you are competing with the person and fighting for space. When you are within your calling and you are within the grace of God over your life, I don't need to fight to be at the front or at the back. Anywhere I sit, the table will shift by reason of the anointing. So you are content with what you have. Every one of us will not be gifted the same way. We need to be content with what we have. And even if it's one thing, develop it to the highest level and it becomes a unique gift to the body of Christ. Don't envy the other person who sings alto. And because you also sing alto, you always want to be the one to be given the mic. Learn to back from where you are. If the anointing is there, even from the back, you will still lead. So it is God who gives us the various gifts. And it is we who also work on them. So you can't be jealous of someone who has actually trained and been given some role to play in ministry. The Bible always describes the body of Christ like the human body. And you realize that though all are human parts, every one of them is so important. They vary in the level of their significance and importance in the body. Even though your finger has a very unique role to play in your life daily. And it is important. That's why God gave you fingers. It is not the same as the heart. It is possible to be shot in your finger with a bullet and you may not die. But a direct shot to the heart will kill you instantly. So you realize that there are levels of importance, isn't it? 
And so we have different levels of roles to play. But there is something that the finger can do that the heart cannot do. There's something that your hand can do that your heart cannot do. But the heart is not jealous about that to say, I want to come out and become a finger. If it does, the whole body will die. So let's consciously eliminate needless competition among us. And let us rather support one another. If you have what I don't have, I will push you. It's a very dangerous, evil spirit. And sadly, sometimes, it is a black person's thing. It looks like a black man's disease. We don't like pushing one another. We like to tell it. So long as it's not me, it can't be you. And that leads to division. So let's learn to complement one another. In the ministry, we will all be gifted differently. Siddiquin Kobe just ministered so powerfully. I've always been praying that we get someone who can play trumpets in church and saxophones in church. These things, they shift my ministry. They open the atmosphere. When I go to churches where they play those things, it's a different level of operation. I know what it is. I've been praying for it. So when I saw he was going to do it last night, I was told, I said, my God, is that going to really happen? And today he moved in that. Then I'm going to sit there and cry. That's me. I can't blow the thing. I don't know how to do it. And I'm not going to cry. You see what I'm doing? I do this best. So I'm doing it. He too does his ministry. I applaud him and I clap for him. So I'm not going to sit down there. He has finished because I am not the one. I'm not clapping. If you give it to me now, I may die. Because I, by the time I blow the thing, it's not going to even sound. The last breath in me will finish. If I haven't eaten the whole day and I'm fasting. It's a skill. I can't fight Suzanne over the keyboard. Years ago when they were going to teach us keyboard, I said, me, the, the anointing on my life, we, we have been called to pray. Those who want to learn this, they should learn. We go to the prayer corner. We call ourselves prayer ninjas and things like that. Now I want to play the thing I can't play. It's just because the time is fast when I'm so busy with so many things. Dickin Kobe is supposed to be my lecturer in teaching me how to play the keyboard. We started our first lesson since 2020. We are here. I haven't taken the second lesson. I don't have the time. Now I'm not going to cry over anybody who plays keyboard or drums. It's, it's not my area. I will push them. I will encourage them. If they are courses, I will push them to do it. Me too, I will stay focused on what I am. And then we join our forces together and we give God praise. That's why God chose to give some people the gifts to become apostles. Others are prophets. If everybody became a prophet, who would be the apostle? If everybody became a prophet and an evangelist, who would be the pastor? Because these are different levels of anointings and temperaments. You need a pastor to be kind with everybody and have the heart to visit everybody. And even when people are messing up, they still come and chase them and love them and care for them. Those who are prophets, their eyes are wide. They, are, they see hell before heaven. They give warnings and they shout. They go. Evangelists, they just preach hell, judgment, etc. They won't come and follow you. It's pastor who has the pastoral heart, who can receive and, 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 and deal with everybody, like the apostle. The apostle has a combination of all of that. So they have a heart for the people. And if everybody became that one, oh, come on. Pastor will just blast you and you go to hell. Pastor, get out of here. 
And the priest, he said, there are six doors to this building. You can get out through any of them. Get out. That's finished preaching. He's not coming to follow you. But you see, when people even spoke against Moses, and then judgment came on them, and they cried to Moses again, said, please pray for us. And Moses stands and said, Father, please, for their sake. That heart, it's not everybody that has it. If all our fingers are the same, we'll be in trouble. So, I want us to understand our body parts play different roles and functions. And if the eye is jealous of the foot because it is the foot that wears the shoes, I don't know what will happen if the eye wants to wear a shoe. So some of the things you are fighting for, you don't fit into it. Stay where you are. Stay in your lane and applaud those who are moving. Then they to applaud you. We all together, the body moves. And I believe that's how we deal with this. We must be genuine Christians to understand the spirit of God gifts all of us differently. And let's harness those gifts. And one of the ways to kill it is to learn to encourage others. Who may even have similar gifts like you. Push them. Sadly, even unbelievers do that more than we we encourage each other. So, that should not have a place in ministry, but sadly it does. Sometimes it shows itself in the choir, shows itself in ushering department, shows itself in all those places. Wait till your turn. When is your turn, you will shine. Because if you rush, you will crash. Thank you, Bishop. Um, do we have time for one more? Ah, it's three o'clock. Okay, let's maybe... Do one or two. Okay. Um, I'll move on then to maybe academic topic. Yes. We've got a question here. What advice would you give to someone who actively serves Christ, studies and revises, but tends to get bad grades at school? Right. Now, this is a very, very practical and complex area in ministry. The Bible clearly also teaches us that an unbalanced scale it's an abomination to the Lord. If we don't balance our time to study whilst we effectively also do the work of ministry on campus, you see that where you focus your planning and training and activity around, that is what you will excel in. And from my experience in ministry, so it's, not some, it's not the devil at all. It's just lack of planning and wisdom. Now, I want you to understand that when it comes to ministry, especially when we are on campus, our academic excellence itself is very, very powerful means of evangelism. So we shouldn't compromise that. As I said earlier on in my teaching today, we've got so many hours in the day. The challenge is lack of planning lack of proper planning to have an effective balance between our ministry life and our academic life. I did ministry on campus. I founded a group of churches from campus. And I still passed my exams and did not fail. I didn't get credit. In the, I Excellent. I passed excellently. Now, what that means is that I did a careful balance that by the time you see me with ministry activities, I've really read 
I've hidden in my room and done stuff. I'm not a library person, so I don't go to library. So those who don't know that they think I'm not learning. But it's only when the results come out. And it's just, it's not, I acknowledge the hand of God and the grace of God in that as well. But I realize that the grace of God also works with our preparation. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Five Ps. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. So when we prepare, whenever preparation meets opportunity, excellence results. So we must study. You know, there's a scripture, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Spirit of God will bring to your remembrance all that you have been taught. Now, it means that you must have something put in there for the Spirit of God, even at the point of examination, to bring to your remembrance. You see, you can't remember anything you have never witnessed. Is that clear? The only reason why you can remember is to put the member together. Remember. Remember is two words. Remember. That means to put together. So, it means that they have some members and you need to remember them, to put them all together. So, if I witness an accident and I forgot about it, it is possible I can remember it after some time and remember the incident or the event. So, in the same way, when we want to pray, Holy Spirit brings something to my remembrance. If I have not studied the thing, how does the Holy Spirit bring to my remembrance? So your duty as a Christian student is to find some time and study. Do the reading. Do what you can possibly do as human and then leave the rest to God who can do what he will do. He's the one that can inspire some of the areas that you need to touch. Those things, Holy Ghost also does that. But if the Holy Ghost is even leading you to, stead, to, to say that this area of the exams, this is how the questions will be, and you have not even studied it, how are you going to? So, let us intentionally have time. Intentionally draw a program. There are some people among you that I do that with them. It's getting to exam. I know she's struggling with that. I said, give me, give me your timetable. Give me what, draw a timetable, let me see it. And then I begin to put it together. I said, yes, okay, you wake up, you pray at five. What do you do? Where's your first lecture? Can you, mm. So this is what I want you to do at this time. Can you read at this time? Where is your strength for the day? Everyone must know where your strength is to read. That's why I said, I was not a, I'm not a library person, so I don't go to library to read. I know where my strength is in the day where I can study. So if it's from 2 o'clock in the afternoon to 5 p.m., that's where my best is. I will give my best there. So when you see me doing ministry at 7 p.m., thou shalt not make a mistake to follow me. I've said it already. So everyone should find where your strength is, where your niche is, and get it in. And draw a timetable. And respect the timetable you have drawn. Many of you draw timetables. You don't respect it because you created it. But if we stick to it, you will realize that you have enough time to do ministry and you have enough time to do academic work and you have enough time for leisure. Because even leisure itself must be planned. When you have planned your day, nobody can just come and say, oh, can you just, you know, follow me? I'm just, I'm just going to ASDA. ASDA is not in my schedule. I'm studying economics at this point. 
It's not in my shadow. I'm not coming because you have studied already and you are going to while your work, your time away in Asda and I'm going to follow you. By the time we get to Asda, we won't come immediately. Something else will attract us to B&Q. Another thing will attract us to another place. And before we realize, we have spent four hours in town. But those four hours, the one who asked you to follow, he or she may have read at 4 a.m. and finished. She has studied her day. You are actually her handbag to accompany her in the day. Be wise. Stick to your schedule. So when your time also coincides for you to go and while away the time, then, then we can all go to Asda. But if at the time you are being asked by someone to accompany that person to somewhere, it doesn't fit into a schedule you have, you need to work out how you are going to, to do that. Life is full of plans. And God who is more holy and more spiritual than anybody was a great planner and he's still a great planner. So it's our planning. But as students, let's not give the enemy a credibility to make it look as if if we come to serve God, we will fail our exams. It doesn't work that way. We will not fail. At best, we must set the right example for people. So our academic excellence is evangelistic in itself. And I pray that we will have a balance. Like I said, that's why you are in church. Our church is also blessed with quite a lot of very professional teachers and lecturers. Especially in HQ. Call for help. They will guide you. As I said, there are people I do their timetable with. I've got the time to do that. And help them. So they can excel. Amen. So, it's the balance. It's the balance. It's not the devil. As for the devil, if it's the devil, we know how to deal with it. But if he sleep too, we will cast the sleep out. So that you can read. There are too many books in your room. You haven't opened it. You have been sleeping and he's been looking at you. session, you taught us from a passage in Luke 18. Um, I just wanted to touch on that. So when the Bible talks about forsaking our family for the kingdom of God, what does this actually mean? Right. Okay. When Jesus was teaching this, it's a very hard message he preached. I think in one other scripture, which is a parallel scripture, I think that even the apostles were surprised um, at that statement. Now, it is not neglect of family, and it is not complete abandonment of family, but again, it is preference for the things of God. We have to know that in all things, God comes first. There are things that in the ministry, um, are, the rest of our family may not understand, but we may have revelation from God about the assignment we have from God. Now, if God really meant that we should cut off from our families, neglect them so that we can pay attention to his work, then how does he become the same person who say we should honor our father and our mother? How could he be the same person who in the book of Timothy we are told that if a man does not know how to take care of his house, how can he take care of the church of God? That means that he's expecting us to have a balance of taking care of the things of God and taking care of the church of God. So when he says that if we, if we love family more than him, that's what he was saying as well there. 
then we must love him as much as we love family. And even sometimes love him more than family. But it is not the same as neglecting family. So when the Lord teaches us that unless we do this, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He's, he's talking about, you know, you having double thoughts. Many times also when it comes to ministry, we see a lot of people say, oh, you have neglected the home and you are paying attention to church. Sometimes it's another way by which the work of God is attacked. But you notice that sometimes we, those who work, you do the same thing. <laughs> you know, sometimes you realize that there's something so crucial and yet you leave because work is calling you. If you don't go, you'll be fired. But work also knows you have got children. But many times we don't talk about that. There's, I mean, if there's a teacher who is, you know, has got exams, she can't just take a holiday. If her students have exams and she needs to be there, they are, it has to be some extreme circumstance by which she has to be exempted or ask permission to be off. But you realize that you're forced to want to go. You know, sometimes even at the expense of some family member who is not well. And you may have to call someone to actually take them to the hospital because you need to be at work. It happens. But that is never seen as neglect of the family. So in the same way, when it comes to ministry, we just need to have a clear balance of how we do things. Jesus, if he was calling for that, as I said, the various scriptures that talk about marriage, of ministers, of church leaders, etc., then that would not happen. He would have advised all church leaders not to marry so they can focus on their life. But even Jesus was still a family man. Even though he didn't marry or have children, he was still concerned about his mother. Despite the prophetic ministry of Joseph, he was still concerned about his father. When his brothers came and he recognized them, he, his first concern was that, Ahem, your, the, the old man, your father that you mentioned, is he still alive? You see, even that he hasn't disclosed himself to them, he's still concerned whether his father was still alive. And his father's welfare was a concern to him. And so, it is not a neglect to family, but we must have an intentional balance to 